I'm saying figure out your brand and then make sure that that language is on your website listening to your customers. That's the essence of brand and the essence of branding and the essence of using brand to drive demand. Lori Cohen is a go-to-market executive with a successful track record in launching and growing enterprises. A data-driven CMO with deep experience in demand generation, including search engine optimization, SEM, account-based marketing, field and partner marketing, content marketing, digital, inbound, and many other aspects of the marketing profession. She's also a former journalist. Lori began her career as a business journalist for PBS and won multiple awards, including a National Emmy, a Peabody Award, and a Neiman Fellowship to study at Harvard Business School. In this episode of the Look Left at Marketing podcast, Brian Scanlon talks with Lori about the importance of branding in enterprise technology. Enjoy. Lori, thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Well, thank you for having me. You pretty much covered the what I do, so I'm going to jump right into what I call the why. And it's something from Simon Shinnick, and it's very relevant to brands. And it's also relevant to your personal brand, um, discovering your why. And so I did some work on this, and I'll share my why with you. Um, Uh, to develop collaborative, trusting relationships so that together we can unleash our our creativity to build amazing companies. Oh, that's great. I I don't have a why that that is that good. I clearly have some work to do myself. Well, let's hear yours. Well, (laughs) my why would probably be as simple as I'm a sucker for a good story and I've spent my life reading and writing them. Okay. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's what I do. And uh, sometimes it's for fun, but mostly it's for business and helping people right there. So I guess that's not bad for, you know, on the cuff. Um, and, I think that's great. All right. I think that's great. Well, we're here to talk about branding and it's a term that gets thrown around a lot and it can mean a lot of different things from as simply as a logo all the way to like a core mission Maybe you can kind of orient us in this world and say, you know, what what do we mean by branding? If we're, we're to steer somebody and talk about brand, what is it? For me, I think at the highest level, a brand is what people are saying about you when you're not in the room. And they they reach that conclusion by so many different touch points. And if we want to think about, um, say, just a B2B brand. Um, and focus more on B2B than on B2C, for the most part, B2B brands are selling software, right? They're selling sort of this this intangible. So the brand is the experience or the experience is actually the brand, right? So it's every touch point. It's, yes, it is your logo and your tagline and your colors and your website, but it's your, your, your reps and your emails. And it's, your social tiles and what you're talking about. It's all of those things wrapped together that create kind of this emotional bond between you and your customer. In software and B2B, I I think, you know, I feel this often and I hear from other people like, oh, that's, that's consumer oriented or, you know, that, that doesn't uh, apply to me. But what, we're really saying is it does still kind of apply to you, even though you might be selling, you know, zeros and ones. Yeah. So I always find it kind of so interesting that, you know, we get up in the morning, right. And we kind of put on our, at this point, like sweatpants or leggings, right. One leg at a time. 
and we fix our kids breakfast, right? And we listen to the news and et cetera. And then somehow something happens when we go, you know, 40 feet down and close our office door. All of a sudden we're being t- spoken to in a language that is totally different from our everyday language, right? Where it's, it's, it's all of a sudden a text speak, it's acronyms, it, it's that secret communication. Well, why? Like, why, why wouldn't you still want to speak to your customer in the language that they understand, in the pain that they're feeling, right? Um, that's what consumer brands are so good at. And that's what B2B brands have to learn to do more of, in, in, in my opinion, because we are that same person. We don't switch off part of our brain when we sit down in front of our computer and are doing our day job. We're that same person. And we're going to respond to those same kind of messages that we respond to in the consumer world. Do you think the the messages are similar, but maybe just the channels are different? You know, obviously in our work, nobody's buying hyperscale databases off of Facebook, right? <laughs> but, you know, they are getting information from Facebook. So it tends to be, you know, this kind of chase for the lead or how good was this source and getting us a, a lead. And we were talking about this uh, before the, the show. Is there... You know, does does this notion of like putting the MQLs and SQLs always up and to the right get in the way of brand sometimes? Well, I kind of think that sometimes what we measure are somewhat what I would consider vanity metrics for marketers, right? Like MQL. What is that? What's a marketing qualified lead, right? Most people define it as somebody that downloaded something from your website. And the difference between an MQL and something that actually goes into the pipe and generates revenue are so different, right? So you can you can generate MQLs any day of the week, right? That's the whole like let's just you know let's you know supercharge our demand gen, right? And let's measure it by MQLs. I don't know that that's really going to help you build your business. And I certainly don't really think it's going to help you build your brand. I think it's a little bit backwards. I think if you can figure out what your brand stands for, then you can target the right people. Then you can bring less MQLs in, right? So maybe when you make this transition, they go down and to the left, but the quality is better and it feeds your pipeline. And the end result is the end result you want, which is to drive revenue, right? Because whether you're sales or marketing, isn't your job to drive revenue and be part of the go-to-market team? Absolutely. And, you know, I think that, you know, there's just, you know, you see, I see this all the time, this pressure of like, what do you mean we were down this quarter? It's like, well, was the revenue up? Uh, you know, that's, you know, they're, they're not exactly always uh, related. And, um, you know, you mentioned something interesting about when you kind of look inside yourself and look, look at the company and try and figure out what you stand for. Where do you think people look? Where's the right place to look? And maybe where's the wrong place to look when you're trying to like sort out, work with someone like you and sort out, you know, what what do we stand for? And how do we somehow translate that into something that people can can relate to? Yeah, you've got to talk to your customers. You know, you can't listen to me. You have to listen to research. You have to talk to your customers and ask them a lot of questions and ask different varying customer groups lots of questions to try to understand and distill what makes your brand special. And it's in 
it's an outside in exercise. You of course want to talk to your you want to talk to your employees, you want to talk to your board, you want to talk to all the people that touch your brand, but then you also want to go outside. You want to hear from analysts and reporters and customers and then distill all that data into something that is truly meaningful and unique and actually captures the essence of your brand. And when you do that, the results are pretty amazing. I mean, I, I will say that I've never worked with a company that has gone through that exercise and hasn't come out a much stronger company and seen in the first couple of months a real uptick in terms of business because they got their brand right. So it can be super powerful. Laurie, why don't you give us an example of that at work? You know, maybe let's let's pick a company that you've worked with or a company that, that you've watched and, and and let's talk about that to kind of, you know, put, you know, put a face on this. Okay. So I know we're talking B2B, but I'm going to start with a, with a B2C company, right? And this was a number of years ago. The company was called Second Rotation. And what they wanted, Second Rotation is an is inventory turn, term. It means, you know, turning something, right? You put it back in inventory, right? Yeah. And so the company was called Second Rotation. Why? Because that's what they did. That's what they were set up to do. And the, their plan was to buy back iPhones and Androids and all the technology that you had in that drawer in the kitchen that you didn't know what to do with, but you didn't want to throw it away. And they were going to take it and in some cases refurbish it and sell it again into other markets, right? So in the founder's mind, second rotation made a lot of sense. However, they were getting no traction in the market. So originally when I went in to talk to them, basically they said, we want a new name you know, and we need a new name, you know, tomorrow. And, you know, you've heard this before too, right? We need, we need the magic pill, the vaccine, yeah. the one thing that's just going to make it all exactly. better, right? And so, you know, I sort of listened to what they were looking for. And, you know, I sort of said, well, you know, uh, you know, when you think about how you arrive at a name, the name, you know, it's of course part of your brand, part of your brand essence, and there's a process to get there, Right. So here's what I think you should do. And I sort of spelled out, you know, kind of this kind of a brand positioning exercise plus naming. And it was very funny. The two founders literally went out in the room, talked in the hall and came back and they said, I, I, I want one of those. Right. That's what we want. Um, and so went through that entire process. And um, at the end of it, the name literally fell out and the company is called Gazelle. And it may be a company that you're familiar with, you know. It's a company that I've literally used a dozen or more okay. times. Um, and they were, I think this was, the work was done maybe in 2006, 2007. I'd have to go back and look. Um, it's still it's still a national brand. Within the first couple of months of launching, their revenue went up like 300%. And within a couple of years, they hit $100 million in revenue. And within within the work, it was all the it was all their brand pillars, including make it, you know, easy for the customer. So they used to send out these orange boxes that said, "Don't just sell it, gazelle it." And they came very fast. Right. Oh, exactly. You had to, and you had to, you had to, because the price would go down because you know they're playing the market, right? Um, and and basically, uh, the the essence of the brand was that you are. The cost, you are the product, meaning the person. The product was not the iPhone or the Android you were selling. It was you and the relationship they were going to establish with you. 
and the trust they were going to establish with you because it was a new model. You sent your goods in before you got paid, right? So you they needed to really establish this trust, tell their story, use the net promoter score, etc. And you know what? All those things are they're still using today, which is kind of I, I think that's <laughs> that's a good story because you see when you do it right, it lasts for a very long time. And I think it's just a great, you know, concept of, you know, we see this all the time in B2B is typically founders are fairly technical. Um, and a, you know, a professional CEO arrives, you know, around series C or something like that. If the founders, you know, aren't, aren't, you know, need help. Um, and they get really wedded to like the technology and it, it could be really hard to, to, to let that go. And, and I think it's just really good to like, you know, you're looking in, but it's it's not what you maybe even intended for the company. You know, it's more of the journey of the customer saying, look at what our customers are doing. And I, I remember I had this great client CEO, by far the best I've ever worked with, very mature. And, uh, you know, I just remember, you know, I said, well, which, mar- which market is it? And he, he was mature enough to say, we don't know. We're going to put it out to these like people. And when they come back, we will have the data to tell us what we actually have. And and instantly the CTO was like, no, we have this. And it was a really interesting dynamic to see that like, yeah, you may think you have this, but the market will tell us kind of what we have. And uh, and if it can't tell us, then you, you kind of have a big problem. Yeah. And and. And I am surprised by companies that don't really want to engage their customers because that's where the magic happens. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, you know, now, I mean, a lot of companies have customer success teams, right? But or advisory boards. Right. Yeah. They do have advisory boards, but the just wanting to hear from your customers, right? I mean, I, I think, and sometimes you'll get a survey and it literally, they'll just want to hear from you. And it's sort of refreshing when somebody honestly just wants to know what you think. Um, and I think you, you have more respect for companies that kind of, that kind of do that. Um, because at the end of the day, we have so many choices, even in B2B companies, we have so many choices that the one we're going to pick is the one that we connect to, right? We connect to on an emotional level. Um, we connect to because they're really speaking our language and the language of our pain. And we connect to them because we have so much social proof before we even touch that company that they're a good brand. They're a brand I'd like to do business with. And that's something brands have to earn. You know, um, they, they're not, you know, when you launch, you don't have that. You don't have that goodwill right? That you can, that you can, uh, you know, draw on. You have to earn that. You have to earn that every day. And one way of figuring it out is go shop your brand, right? Go figure out whether you would pick your brand or would you pick somebody else's and why? That's a really interesting exercise because we, we often see this out in Silicon Valley is it's kind of like professional jealousy. Like something will happen in a company that you're competing with or, or, you know, they'll, they'll get something and they're like, uh, that should have been us, you know, kind of moment. And it's like, well, it, it can be you, uh, what are you going to do? You know? And, uh, this notion of, you know, that somehow, you know, there's not all this, you know, if you build it, it'll, they'll just come. And, and, you know, we see that 
quite quite often. And um, the other thing we actually see is that we'll see people come back from a customer meeting and they'll instantly like switch. It's like, wait, hold on. Like how many people told you that? Oh, one. <laughs> I'm like, well, how about we go ask like 10 more? Right, right. <laughs> and, and if we're at 70%, it's probably a good idea. <laughs> and, right. Uh, uh, you know, because it, it, you create this kind of ping pong effect because, I mean, brand takes time. That's really in and, and some patience. I mean, how long can it take and when do you know when to call it quits or keep going or pivot? Well, oftentimes the kind of companies that I would get called into. Right. Or, or, or these are what I would say are some of the symptoms of when you might have a lackluster brand. Right. Your campaigns are no longer performing the way they used to, right? Your 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 uh, your cost of a customer acquisition is is really going up. You know your churn's high. Your competitors are kind of nipping at your heels, and there's a lot of downward pressure on price, not just from your customers, but even your sales team is saying we have to lower our price. We have to lower our price, right? And and traditionally you've had a great product. I mean you really do have good technology. But you've you've always focused on like the features and the functionality. And now you have competitors in the market that are really blowing you out of the water because they're positioning themselves against you and you're not responding. Right. And that's when I think you I think those are the symptoms of when you have to start thinking about your brand. Most people, except the most enlightened CEOs, don't think about their brand. Let's face it. Right. As you said before, oftentimes they're tech CEOs. They love their technology and they're t- and they're totally focused on the technology and they do not care about brand. They basically want to drive demand and you know that's what they're going to focus on. So they're going to focus on a lot of email, Google AdWords, retargeting, you name it, all the all the strategies to drive demand but they're not going to think about that overarching brand message. And so when there's pain, they think about it, right? That's when they think about it. And it's, you know, it's, it's really interesting that, you know, I, we, we obviously do messaging with, with clients. I wouldn't say we do branding. We just try and get, have them get their story like down. And, you know, one of the things that, that, that we always kind of catch them on is, you know, they'll, they'll start up the story and it's either the founding of the company, which honestly, Nine times out of ten doesn't matter unless it's some you know amazing garage, the great story, um, and because you know they're proud of it, and you know they just they're so proud that they want to tell all of that. And the reality is, yeah, you know people just don't have the attention span for it, and the you know the the path of least resistance, the easier and 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 more enjoyable an experience is people are just going to pick that every single time. And, and, you know, the, this notion of friction, because it may be 10% better. It's, it's becoming really interesting that people just don't care about 10% better. Um, and, you know, even though there might be a slightly superior product, well, you know, it, it's not enough anymore. I think you and I lived through the, the, the ages where we do, do those charts and Oracle was famous for these, right? Like, this is how fast we run on this versus the comp- competition. And they would put it in the Wall Street Journal and basically say, there's the proof. Aha. And, um, 
And then, you know, Oracle certainly has a brand, but, you know, they got kind of known for being, you know, this kind of like not so great company, you know? Yeah. And still wildly successful. I mean, you know, half the world's still probably running on Oracle at this point, but. Um, yeah, exactly. But, you know, but a lot of people could come in and take market share from them. And you know what? They are. They are. Yeah. Right. Because that's why there's so many open source companies now, you know, that are that are really going after Oracle hard for that very reason. Right. So Oracle has a strong brand. Right. When you have a strong brand, you could charge a premium. Right. And you're and and, you know, and that's a key thing that they do. Right. But um, because of business practices, and this is something I know a little about because some of the work I'm doing is with a company that is competing with Oracle. Right. So I can I can speak, um, you know, um, I know a little bit about what I'm saying. Let's put it that way. Right. Um, you know, the, their brand. Thank heavens they have that brand. Right. Because, you know, and there's some things they can do better than anyone else. Right. That, you know, that nine, nine point nine, 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 nine with five nines after it uptime probably hard for everybody to, to, to win on, right? But there's other stuff that their competitors can now do now. And if they establish stronger brands, they are beginning to nip at the heel. That doesn't mean Oracle is going to go away. I mean, it's a huge company. It's a big company, but it's got a lot of targets on its back. You know, what's interesting there is it just occurred to me that, you know, Oracle invested very heavily in cloud and hosting and, you know, being able to to be a, a cloud provider, but they're not the market leader. I mean, it's Amazon, it's Google, it's Microsoft. And, um, you know, and that's an example where, you know, your brand may be completely unknown for something else. That's really interesting. Good. You're absolutely and, right. Uh, and look at the work Microsoft did, you know, they, you could compare Microsoft to Oracle in many ways, you know, tech stalwarts have had ups and downs, have had good brand moments and bad brand moments. Right. And, you know, look at, look at the reinvention that Microsoft did with, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I view that brand as like incredibly gutsy and it, it really took a new, the old guard as successful as they were. Right. I mean, Bill Gates deserves a ton of credit, yeah but an, an, a new guard to come in and say, no, like it's this and, and be able to kind of cut some of that baggage loose of it and and have the the guts to do that and you know now look at how microsoft is thriving in the cloud you know microsoft teams is clearly you know is very popular um you know they're just uh you know gaming you know whole new market for them um but you know it's interesting that the you know that work of the brand didn't automatically translate to, you know, to, to it like, oh, we're, we're Microsoft. So if we enter this room, you know, we're just going to take the air out and instantly have credibility. And I think there's something to be said for that. But, um, but, you know, I think nowadays uh, the markets just move so fast that, you know, as my daughter would say, I mentioned PowerPoint once and she's like, what's that? <laughs> you know, she's 18 years old. Yeah. I'm like, how do you not know what PowerPoint is? <laughs> But, and she doesn't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but I guarantee that Microsoft, we weren't in the room when it happened, but guaranteed they went through the gut-wrenching moments of how they were going to reinvent their brand, right? Um, and a perfect example is, I mean, I use Teams on my Mac. Remember when Macs and PCs really didn't play <laughs> yeah, nicely? Yeah, well and water. Right? Yeah. Right? So, yeah, yeah. 
And um, I, I actually think, you know, Zoom created its brand during COVID, right? You know, in part, I think, because they, you know, gave away that first 40 minutes for free, right? If you did, you know, if you did multi and you had it for free, if you just did one-on-one. Um, Teams is better, is better, right? And Teams is is more secure. Zoom got in there, you know, and, and, you know, I don't know which brand will last, right? Like 10 years from now, if we had this conversation, will Zoom still be a brand everybody knows about? Um, or will Microsoft Teams be, you know, our... Well, certainly, um, you know, Zoom has become a verb. So, you know, through no, you know, no, you know, as brilliant as that, that kind of that naming exercise was. I mean, they, you know, it just kind of fell into it. But, you know, honestly, it's a, it's a good example of how even stalwart brands like Cisco bought WebEx. And, you know, this was Zoom's moment, hands down. Right. And in some cases, Teams moment, I would, I would argue, too, with the pandemic and everything. And it just goes to show that, you know, it, you may have plowed the road, but it's generally really easy for somebody to come up behind you. If, um, if they're smart, if they're nimble. If they're and smart, again, yeah. they really understand the customer right i think that's what that that's what zoom so brilliantly did right it's also like what slack did to grow i think it's using those customer insights and then branding around those um and i think that's what sets the the good companies from the great companies apart so i've got to ask the snarky silicon valley question because you know we hear it constantly does your brand need a billboard? Have you arrived with your brand if you've got the billboard? Uh-huh. So it's funny because, right, you'd answer that question so differently pre-COVID <laughs> exactly. when we were all driving and stuck in, you know, the San Francisco traffic or going, right, from Silicon Valley, right, to the city. Yeah, it's a whole tree falls in the forest moment right now. <laughs> yeah. But do I, do I think that some brands really have done a great job with billboards to become like the B2B2C moment? Yeah. You know, one of them, which you're probably familiar with, is Snowflake. Yeah. yeah absolutely. So I think Snowflake has done some great billboards, you know. so one, And that's what they, they kind of went out with a whole campaign, right? Every season, every holiday, they had these campaigns. And I thought they were awesome. You know, one of them, love is blind, data is not. Happy yeah. holiday, right? So they always <laughs> tied it back to their brand, but they did really clever things. How could you not kind of laugh and, and think, oh, that's 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 funny, right? I, I, you know, and then even though I am not a buyer of Snowflake, it made me remember Snowflake. And I liked looking at their billboards and I liked anticipating what their next kind of move would be because they were super creative. And to me, that's that B2B to C moment that help has helped the brand uh, really get a lot of wind behind their sales. I mean, I don't know, people are talking about that IPO kind of being kind of crazy, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, does every company need a billboard? I don't think so. I think it really depends, right? How are you going to use it? Are you going to use it in a clever way? 
or are you going to just, you know, put your name up there in your tagline? And, you know, one of the things I think Snowflake did right, I mean, there's a lot of classic Silicon Valley stuff there with money and the CEO and all that stuff. But, mm. you know, they, they kind of have this mantra, if I, if I can remember right, that like every company can do this. You know, you can every company can, you know, have this, you know, access to their data. They don't they don't have to spend billions on Oracle. They don't have to be AWS or Google. Like we're going right. to, we're kind of on this larger mission to democratize this uh, a, a bit. And, you know, and, the, and I, and I remember that about the company because it's a very, it's a very good story to tell where, you know, think about, think about the opposite. The other brand direction would be like, we're cheaper, right? Like don't pay those yeah, guys. Don't yeah, yeah, don't settle yeah. for highway robbery, which quite frankly is a valuable brand strategy at times. I mean, look at cars at at, at certain points, but in yeah. in the end, you know, it's you don't really necessarily build value. You become a commodity, right? Right. But you know, they, there is that component to that brand, but they they've put a story against it. You know that like you can, you know, you it's affordable for you without ever saying those words, and and that's smart. Yes. And I think that's smart too, because I think you really don't want to be known as the cheaper brand, because if that's what you're selling on, you can never get out of it. Yeah, you can never just, get out of it. That, and, that, that slide only goes one way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 Yeah. And it's really interesting because years ago, I did some work for Netiza, which was a database. Oh, I, right. Yep. Uh, which is how we know each other, kind of, you yeah. know, because we oh, exactly. both lived in that world. Yep. Yes, exactly. But that's that's what Snowflake is in the cloud. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a data warehouse in the cloud, right? And can you imagine? So this is another example. Netiza had a great brand, right? They were a real challenger. Then they really, you know, uh, got a lot of steam, went public. IBM bought them and kind of, you know, sunsetted the brand. I think now that they saw the success of Snowflake, they're dusting it off and trying to figure out what they're going to do with that brand. Okay, final final question, Lori. Uh, how do you measure brand or impact? I, I know it's a sticky question and 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 hard to sometimes nail down. But you know, at the end of the day, I think uh-huh. you know, marketing yeah. people and the board they they've gone got got for measurement, so got to show something. So how do you how do you show it? <laughs> That's always you know sort of that that hard question because we're so. Uh, because of the internet, right? We think we can measure everything, right? And I believe we can measure everything, but that doesn't mean we're measuring it correctly or even understanding the impact of the brand on the brand, right? Um, But if you want to go specifically to some metrics, I mean, one of them is clearly share of voice, right? I mean, that is something that can be measured quarter over quarter is my share. Am am I taking share of voice away from my competitors? That's something you can measure, right? You can measure organic traffic coming to your site. That's brand traffic, right? Is that going up and to the right? Um, You can measure social amplification. What's happening in LinkedIn and in Twitter? Are you getting engagement, right? In those channels. Um, You can measure press. Right. If you have a PR firm, you know, are you getting more placements and, you know, and not just, you know, kind of rapid responses, but are you getting articles? Right. Yeah. Are you the subject? Yeah. Analyst. 
working with analysts, right? Can you, you know, you, you can't work your way into the magic quadrant if you don't have everything behind you. Exactly. But, you know, there's lots of other stuff you could do with analysts, right? To, to, uh, to bring your brand to the forefront so that when they're talking to customers, you are one of the companies that they say, oh, you should consider X company, right? And, you know, just to pick up on the analyst thing, you know, one of the things I encourage people to do is to ask the analysts about inquiries. Absolutely. Are they getting asked about the brand? Exactly. Because that's, you know, that's that's a metric that somebody somewhere heard about you, was told about you, engaged with you, and now they're doing that kind of, that gut check that we all know that happens in B2B long before they pick up the phone and call you. Absolutely. And that's a, and that's a perfect one. And, and, and Gartner absolutely tracks that and you can get how many inquiries and are they going up and to the right, you know? And then the other things I think you can measure, but I'm not saying it's going to happen in Q the first quarter, your, 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 your CAC should go down, right? Your lead should be better, right? And your salespeople should just have an easier time getting meetings with the right people, right? Because you're, oh yeah, I know, blah, 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 right? I mean, it's like, it's that- yeah, I've heard about you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, and that's the kind of thing you as a marketer, yes, it's anecdotal, but you got to keep those stories. You totally have to keep those stories. And it might start out as stories, but after a quarter or two, um, it's going to translate into some data, and everything we just spoke about, it's not expensive, what we're talking about, right? It's not, you know, I'm not saying buy, you know, billboards in every major city. I'm saying figure out your brand and then make sure that that language is on your website. Make sure the, the right images are, are on your social tiles. Make sure you're talking about the right stuff, right? Following the right people, you know, getting that experience down so you take the friction out of it. Listening to your customers. That's not expensive stuff. And to me, that's the essence of a brand, right? And the essence of branding and the essence of using brand to drive demand. Great stuff, Lori. Well, thank you so much for joining us. It was great to catch up. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, Brian. Thank you. Our thanks to Lori Cohen for joining us on the Look Left at Marketing podcast. For more information on everything she's up to, be sure to check out her website at www.blueskybranding.com. We hope you'll subscribe to the Look Left at Marketing series on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of course, we welcome your comments and suggestions for future episodes as well. Next up, Davida Dinnerman will sit down with Jill Aitoro, Editor-in-Chief at SC Magazine and Editorial Director of the Cyber Risk Alliance. It'll be an informative discussion of what's happening these days in cybersecurity, and they're invited to sit in. Thanks again for joining us on this edition of the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Till next time, be well.